Well, good morning, uh, folks, and thank you for joining us as we continue to look through the book of Acts, this most exciting book, particularly the early chapters, which uh, focus on the early church. And one of the things the Anglican church is built on is tradition. And that's not the Anglican tradition, but tradition of the early church. And we always look back to that and these days after Pentecost to see what an active and a vibrant church truly looks like. And we're seeing that in action today in uh, the verse that Trace read. Uh, but what has happened to Peter? What has happened to these apostles over the last eight or so weeks? Uh, when I was younger, there used to be ads at the back of all these magazines um, and there'd be a puny-looking guy sitting on the beach and getting sand kicked in his face by this really big athletic guy who ended up stealing his girlfriend. And the caption would read, are you a 99-pound weakling? You know, send away for Charles Atlas's new chest expander and become a man. Now, these were common. I'm not making these ads up. They were everywhere. And I bought one. It was called a, a bull war or a bull roar or something like that. I couldn't even push these wretched things in, which were meant to build up this part of me, I think. But anyway, something has happened to Peter over the last eight or so weeks that has given him this great confidence and the courage that we see uh, in this reading today. Uh, we'll have a look closely at what Peter's speech uh, actually is uh, later on. But first, we, we need to recap where we're actually up to in, in the book of Acts and put today's story into context. Then we'll have a closer look at today's passage, and in particular, Peter's short speech uh, to the very Jewish leaders in person, who are the very ones um, who plotted to crucify Jesus of Nazareth only a couple of short months earlier. So in the chapter just before us today, shortly before Pentecost, as Charlie reminded the children, Peter and John are entering the temple through one of the temple gates, the gate called Beautiful. Isn't that astounding? Um, I think the writer of Acts, uh, Luke, the Apostle Luke, the Evangelist Luke, includes these little details just to make the reading more powerful. So they enter the temple through beautiful and they happen upon a beggar who asks them for money. And Peter says to him, look, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And you need to picture this. The beggar's ankles and feet immediately become strong. He springs to his feet and begins to walk. His life has been renewed and made beautiful by the power of the name of Jesus Christ. There is uproar. All the people are filled with wonder and amazement. And then Peter speaks in chapter 3.16. He says, By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know, was made strong. It is Jesus' name and faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him. And it's right here that we parachute in this week with the reading that Tracy read. So there's been this big healing. Peter has just given this huge, powerful speech to the onlookers and the crowd, uh, the temple police, the priests and the Sadducees have just arrived. So this is where we start today's passage. So it's during Peter's and John's speeches that our passage begins with the arrival of the authorities. Now, these are the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and the Sadducees. The, the chaos here is, is amazing. On the day of Pentecost, which we don't know exactly how many days before this it was, but let's say it was a couple of weeks, the Holy Spirit descended onto 120 people. 
And after Peter's speech that day to the crowd, the church grew to 2,000. And after today's healing in the temple and Peter's speech, this brand new church now numbers 5,000 men. That's not counting women and children. So let's say 10,000 people. This is insane. It's been a matter of weeks since the Holy Spirit came and it has rejuvenated and given life to the apostles. And verse 2 tells us the temple authorities were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Look, no wonder this disturbed the Sadducees. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And it's really easy to get all these groups mixed up. Um, Judaism at that time had several different sects uh, or groupings. The ones we hear most about in the scriptures are the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Uh, but there were other groups um, like the Zealots and the Essenes, which were more like John the Baptist, very ascetic, living in um, on air and water pretty well. And one of the apostles was called Simon the Zealot, so he was that member of, of, the, of Judaism. But the two we hear most about are the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Uh, and the big difference between the two is that the Pharisees believe in resurrection to new life by adhering to the law, which is fair, you see. And Sadducees don't believe in eternal life at all, which is sad, you see. So that's the way you can remember it. The temple authorities haul them off to front of the Sanhedrin, which was the, the ruling body of, of the Jewish church, of, of Judaism. And because it was evening, they were thrown into jail because they couldn't get to see the council until the following day. Now, the text again goes into details about which Jewish rulers were there. And Luke again, again does this for very good reason. If you can cast your mind back to Good Friday and Maundy Thursday, um, the, the high priest's family then was Annas and Caiaphas and Alexander and John. And just as today, the people whom Peter and John are hauled before and the ones whom Peter ran away from are the very same people who plotted to kill Christ. So here in the text today, we have Annas, Caiaphas, John and Alexander. Uh, it is Caiaphas who said in John 11.50, you don't realise that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. So he saw that the death of Jesus would stop the Romans coming through, which they eventually did in, in AD 70, some 40-odd years later. They eventually did. But to stop the Romans coming in and just trashing the place. So these people are not at all Peter's and John's friends. They are the ru ruling Jewish elite. And they're all related. Caiaphas is Annas's son-in-law and John and Alexander are Caiaphas's brothers. So he's on a hiding to nothing. These are the people who plotted to kill, to crucify Jesus, whom he was so terrified of, he denied even knowing Jesus. And so the next morning, here he is facing these same very people who had worked to have Christ crucified him, and they ask him this very question. In other words, are you going to put your head right in the noose here? By what power or what name did you do this? Now, this is the Peter who... The last thing uh, on, on Good Friday Peter ever wanted to hear was someone in authority asking him about Jesus. And here they are giving him the perfect lead-in for him to give this most amazing short little speech. It's only uh, five verses long. Peter then replies, 
And the passage begins by telling us the reason for his courage, uh, the reason what was his Charles Atlas chest expander, and it's the Holy Spirit that has filled him. Um, this is short and really powerful, and it shows how the Holy Spirit links our faith with, our, with, with the works that God has determined that his church will do. And there are three points, I think, that we can take out of these five short verses. Firstly, that the resurrection of the dead is in Jesus alone. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And Peter and John were jailed overnight for proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So when asked by whose name the beggar was healed, Peter answers in verse 10, that it is by the name of Jesus Christ of crucified, and he could almost have pointed at Caiaphas and Annas, whom you crucified, you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. So there is no other path to eternal life other than through Jesus Christ. The second point that I think we can draw out of uh, Peter's beautiful little speech is that this resurrection power is available to everybody who believes. Peter's point here is that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that caused the beggar to be able to stand and walk and rejoice and uh, stop begging. So verse 8 tells us that when Peter answered the Jewish leaders, he was full of the Holy Spirit so he could answer truthfully and fearlessly. And he was full of the Holy Spirit, which means what that actually did to Peter and does to all of us is that um, he becomes full of the he became full of the nature of God, what we call the fruit of the Spirit. So part of the nature of God is his kindness, his loving kindness. And this is the reason given by Peter for the healing of the beggar. Loving kindness is part of the very nature of God and is therefore in believers as part of the fruit of the Spirit. This is what we exhibit when we are filled with God himself. The Holy Spirit is God. So when it's the fruit of the indwelling of this Spirit is kindness, which is the reason that Peter gave for the actual healing of the cripple in the first place. And Paul writes in Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. So it is in this resurrection power that is our life in the Holy Spirit. It's the same power. It is the same Spirit. So all our works are fueled by this power and this power alone. And we call upon this uh, power in the name of Jesus Christ because that is from whom we receive this power. Jesus had to die and ascend to be seated with God before we can receive this, this resurrection power. But the people Peter is speaking to in this speech here, the Jewish authorities, are the very ones who rejected the power of the name of Jesus. In verse 11, the builders that Luke is talking about are the religious leaders of the day. So they picked up and examined this stone called Jesus. You can imagine just a brick wall, and there's all they're building this wall, and they pick up this brick, and this brick's name is Jesus. We'll call this brick Jesus. They pick up this Jesus, and they look at it and see if it will fit, but... They couldn't see where it could fit into their wall of truth. So they rejected this stone, they rejected that brick and put it aside. But God, the architect, he's the architect of this building. God used this stone called Jesus as the cornerstone, that is the capstone, the locking stone that gives the building its shape and holds everything together. And this new building from God is the church, the priesthood of all who believe in the name of Jesus. 
So this this new building that the religious authorities at the time couldn't find a place for, they didn't know where it fit in their worship of God, rejected it. So out of that, this gives shape to our whole faith, and it's in Christ. Um, we are in that building, and that building is held together and, and makes sense only in the name of Jesus Christ. And the third element of Peter's speech tonight, uh, and perhaps um, the most important, is that this resurrection power gives new life now, um, not just at the moment of death. It makes all the quality of our living right now, the moment we believe, not after death. This is like the cream on the cake as after death. In 1 Peter, Peter writes that for believers, the kingdom of God starts the moment we believe. We don't wait until after death to be able to be used by God. Jesus said a similar thing when he said, pick up your cross each day and follow him. That's what we do each day. So each day we die a little. And the death of the body at some stage in the future is strangely linked in a way that we don't know or understand with the death that is work is at work in all of us right now. And that inner death is what we experience in a thousand ways. Sometimes we might experience that inner death as a loneliness or bitterness or emptiness or despair uh, or depression of spirit. Um, sometimes it's boredom. Sometimes it's hate. Uh, Sometimes it's malice and resentment and violence. Whatever it may be, it's not what God intended for us. Therefore, God causes that to die within us. So the Holy Spirit brings new life, but there can't be new life unless the old life dies, just by definition. You can't have new life if there's no death of the old life. So the glorious proclamation of the truth is that in Jesus, is that in Jesus Christ in dying, and rising from the dead, he does something about this form of death in ourselves, that by the power of the Holy Spirit that we only have because Jesus rose, is that we too have this power that God takes away and causes to die these things that are not from God. And so the result is, and can be, and is, brothers and sisters, we get peace instead of restlessness, acceptance rather than guilt, love in place of lust or hate, our power to replace weakness, joy for mourning and beauty for ashes, hope for despair, courage where we were cowardly, and a whole cleansing of our spirit. And this is what Jesus can do. Uh, this is what overturns society. When this message is released and acted upon, this is what makes the church difference, different. Because we have died and we have new life, and none of this is in our own power. And this is what makes the church different and changes the whole world. Things happen, remarkable things, dramatic things, things that become the basis of true freedom, of true liberty, which sets people free to be whom God intended them to be. Now, we'll never know this kind of resurrection power and we won't know the kind of joy and love and peace unless we come to grips with Jesus Christ personally, ourselves, Until there comes a time when we ask Jesus of Nazareth, risen from the dead, to come in and be Lord of our life. Otherwise, none of anything we've been talking about will make any sense. And it won't happen. It won't happen. When we do that, earnestly and sincerely, he comes in immediately and we begin a new life in Christ. There is no other name. There is no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among mortals 
whereby we can be saved. It is as simple as the text says it is. This is a startling declaration. Like It says that there is no one else who can fill the place of being the cornerstone of divine authority in the world. There is no other name. So this passage shows us that in the resurrection life is in Christ himself and in Christ alone, in no one else. And when we believe, the moment we first believe, the Holy Spirit fills us and we are one with Christ, and therefore because we're one with Christ, that same resurrection power that raised Jesus to life raises us to new life. It's the same power. There can't be new life without death. So each day we pick up our cross and we die to our self, self-fullness. And out of the great love that God has for us, he causes these things to die in us. And this new life that it brings is from the Spirit and it brings gifts to each and every one of us to be used to build up the church and to glorify Jesus Christ just as he glorified his Father. We glorify our Lord and God Jesus Christ. Please let me pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Renew us now in our parish life. Renew the hearts of all your children, Father, this day. Not just in this parish, but in your whole worldwide church. Renew us, refresh us, and restore us, Father. In the name of Jesus, our companion, our friend, and our brother, and our Lord, and our King, and our God. Amen.